Awesome, awesome. I was a little worried that during that last song, uh, my mic was on, right? I was worried if I started singing. So I was lip syncing that last part, in case you noticed. Uh, but I'm Chris White. I'm an elder here at, uh, at Grace. It's our Southwood campus. And really excited to be with you today. We're in our series about Created to Connect. A little bit more just about kind of me. Uh, I'm a husband and a father, as you can see here on the next picture. So this is the one time of year where the the math is easy. The kids are just 12, 14, 16, 18. Uh, Our oldest is a freshman at a university you may have heard of, Texas A&M University. Okay, I figured we... uh, And my wife and I met at a local university named Texas A&M University. Okay, so this is good. This is good. Uh, And, you know, today we're going to talk about creative to connect at work. At work. And so that's really why I'm here. I'm more in the workplace. I work for a company called The Flipping Group. And so uh, I'm a consultant. And so they asked me to speak as an elder and as someone who's in the workplace about what would it look like to really connect even more so as Christians in, at work. So we're going to talk about that today. I'm going to put you to the test, though. Our first uh, word here, you have to guess. You can see it's four letters, not four words, four letters. So what what would be really important if you want to really be a Christian in the workplace and be able to share the gospel and, and be a light and bring hope to people, you want to blank a testimony. So think if you have that word in your head, don't cheat, don't cheat. If you cheat in church, that's pretty bad. The, the last letter, so you can, you will get a show of hands here. So you got your word? Everybody got it? Okay. The last letter's an E. Raise your hand if your last, if your word ended in E. Okay. A lot of you. The third letter's a V. How many still active? Okay. Okay. The second letter was an I. Okay, I lost some of the halves of testimony, so I still got a few though. Uh, did anybody say the first letter is L, live a testimony? Okay, okay, we got a few or maybe, I can't tell. So we want to live a testimony at work. So today we're going to talk about seven ways that we can live a testimony at work. The first one is really to believe that we're all in ministry. Colossians 3.17, and you can turn to it if you want. On some of these, since it's a little bit more topical, we've got seven points we're covering, as you just said. Uh, Feel free to to flip back and forth, or if you want to read it on the screen, up to you. So believe we're all in ministry. Colossians 3.17 says, Paul says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, whatever your workplace is, I didn't say this earlier, but you think about how much time we spend at work. It's pretty crazy, right? I mean, we go to work more than we sleep. We go to work more than we spend time with our families often. Uh, and so that's pretty crazy. So this is a really important topic. And by the way, I do want to make sure I broaden the subject ever so slightly. Some of you may think, well, I'm not in a corporation, so I guess it doesn't apply. Should I just leave now? I think I saw somebody. No, they didn't. Uh, nobody left. But, but no, this actually applies to all of you. Your workplace may be a college classroom. Your workplace may be a dorm room. Your workplace may be a high school classroom. If you're in here and you're in third grade, I would still say to you, there's some real application here. I even looked at the seven points in that context. There's some real application for you. If you're a stay-at-home parent, there's some real application for your workplace, even if it's a living room. So yeah, definitely don't uh, tune out here if you think, well, I'm not in a, a big corporation. In fact, here's a great way to know uh, to, to know if you're in ministry, if you're really in ministry. It's, it's very simple. You can hold up two fingers, and then you go like this on your neck. And if you feel that, then that means you're in ministry. So everybody? Okay, everybody's with me there. Good, good. If you don't feel that, then tell me quick, because we need to call somebody. 
Uh, it's funny, I was uh, in a thing here at Grace, and Chris Merrill is the one that led it. Uh, Chris Merrill uh, led us in a little activity when I was in a, a Grace class, and he, he said, picture yourself uh, being a missionary. In fact, think right now, what's a place that you, would, you could picture yourself being a missionary, even if it's kind of a fun place? So think for a minute, it could be a different country, a different city. Think for a minute, if you could pick, if you could just pick any place to be a missionary, what would you pick? And so in our group, we had several different answers there. I picked Hawaii. I thought I'd take one for the team and go to Hawaii. And uh, other people picked various places. And and he said, okay, what what if your Christian community, the people that know you best, came up to you and said, hey, Chris, we feel like you're called to go there. We really do feel like you're called to go there. And you're like, wait, what? Uh, that's crazy. I mean, what if tomorrow you get a postcard? What, what place did you pick? India. Okay. Let's say tomorrow you get a postcard from India. And you're just like, wait, what? That's crazy. And maybe that'll happen. I don't know. I can't guarantee it. Uh, but, but let's just say your Christian community said, you're, you're called to go there. And, and you're like, oh, so think about how you'd spend your time there. Think about how, you, how you'd prioritize things. Think about how you'd spend your free time if you're a missionary in a place like that, even if it's kind of a fun place. Well, well then, now stop for a minute. And let's picture your Christian community saying almost the same thing to you. Let's say they said, we do feel like you're called to be a missionary in College Station, Texas. Oh, okay, it's a little twist, right? So then it's like, how would we spend our time if we really thought of ourselves, even in the workplace, as being more of a missionary, not just kind of uh, going to work? And by the way, ministry is a team sport. So this, this sermon can almost sound like I'm talking to you personally, even when, when I was you know, kind of thinking about some of the content. Sometimes I could even think about just myself, but the truth is I want us thinking about ministry being a team sport in a workplace, I want you connecting with other believers and really looking at how you can multiply efforts there, not just thinking in isolation. Okay, that's number one. Um, and th- think about which one of these is kind of jumping out at you. At the end, I'll ask you, like, which one would you say you could apply the, the best? Which one could you apply the most? So hold that thought. And when I do that, I'll give you all seven so you can see them all. So number one, we're all in ministry. Number two, accept that work won't be perfect. James, Jesus' little brother, the first thing he says After a quick greeting in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. I just love that verse. Is it just me? I mean, that's such good stuff. Such good stuff. So your work will not be perfect. You're going to face some trials. How do you consider it all joy? So uh, some of you may have this look, the, the look when you, when the, that look when you don't want to go to work, I got my tongue twisted there, that look when you don't want to go to work. Anybody do that? Okay, maybe, maybe. Another one similar, looking back at my house as I'm leaving for work. <laughs> Anybody do that? Because work can feel that way sometimes. Uh, another one, some of you have, may have challenges, not just in the workplace, but even specifically with your boss. So how about this meme? What my boss expects from me. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? Okay, don't raise your hand. You might be sitting by your boss. Is anybody sitting? Okay, don't answer, don't answer that. So what we want to talk today is, um, in this case, is really joy versus happiness. So are you going to be happy at work all the time? I can't guarantee that. But can you choose to be joyful in the midst of things that can be draining or frustrating? 
I, I hope so. I hope so. If you, if, if you look in the Bible at how many times the word joy is used, this kind of deeper choice, not just this fleeting emotion, it's almost 400 times. Almost 400 times in Scripture we talk about, it's, it's talked about joy. How, guess how many times happiness is talked about? Six. Six. And so I do think that in our society, it's so hard. The enemy is, is you know, blank there. The enemy is entitlement. We are spoiled. We are spoiled. True story. I, I, I wanted to kind of get an example of how we're spoiled. And it just kind of hit me. And I didn't know how it would work out. So I just thought, I'm going to go to Kroger, local Kroger, and I'm going to count how many loaves of bread there are. Not how many different of the same kind. I'm talking about how many different kinds of loaves of bread. I'm not talking about some organic loaf or some big, some rolls or this or that. I'm talking only about part of an aisle that has bread in a long sleeve that's sliced up with a little twisty at the end. Just that section. Again, not all the other bread. There's probably two or three times that much bread and other types of rolls and stuff, right? So just sliced bread. And I thought, I'm going to count how many there are. Now, remember, I'm not counting duplicates. So if there's some of you like Mrs. Baird's or whatever, that's great. I'm not selling bread today. If you like Mrs. Baird's, whatever, I'm not saying that, well, there were 60 of that one kind. No, I'm just talking about different UPC codes. Guess how many there were at our local Kroger? A hundred and one. I mean, is that not just kind of like, what, a hundred and one? Let me read you some of the, some of the things. Oh, yeah, here it is. There's multi-grain, seven grain, wheat, regular wheat, double fiber wheat, um, 100% whole wheat, honey wheat, butter, butter split top wheat. And, it, and then there's white and all this stuff. It's like, wow. I mean, we have, um, we have a, a force that we have to fight against because we're spoiled. We're spoiled. I am spoiled. Which leads us to number three. We need to manage expectations even better. Yeah, I was talking to Brian about this topic, and he said this. He said, if you like 50% of your job, that's not bad. Now, how many of us would be content with that, right? How many of us could choose joy with that? And, and, and ironically, too, I was talking to a college student at Grace just last week. Uh, she just accepted a job in Dallas at a, at a great company. And this topic kind of came up. I wasn't over there really fishing for anything. I was just, we were just talking. And here's, I'm going to quote, quote her. She said, I don't expect to love my job. It's a place I'll serve. And I thought, ooh, now that's a healthy perspective for a senior to have going into the workplace. I wasn't expecting that. So you really, you know, want to choose passion versus find your passion. One final thought on expectations. I'm going to give you a little definition of, of expectations. I heard this once and it really hit home with me. Expectations are premeditated disappointments. Hmm. Expectations are premeditated disappointments. Now, now you skeptics can run with that and say, well, Chris, expectations aren't bad. Of course they're not. And that's not a perfect definition. But I think it is one that kind of makes me think, yes, do I set myself up for disappointment in my workplace based on having high expectations or based on, well, my brother-in-law does this or so-and-so does that and I wish I did this and I wish I did that? Probably so. So like it says in the fourth bullet point there, it's really more about choosing to be passionate Versus finding your passion. And I'm not doing that as a mocking thing. I'm just emphasizing the word there. There's nothing wrong with you finding your passion. But if we're consumed by that as if it's this, find this magic thing, this magic job that'll meet all of my needs and make me perfectly happy. You're making me nervous. You're making me nervous. And so the last question there, can you reframe your boss 
your workplace, uh, your colleagues as, as people that, that, that are going to make you better, as people that you can serve. Wow, can I reframe them and see them in a whole different light if I'm really thinking of it as a mission field? Okay, number three, focus on conversing, not just converting. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Mmm, that's good stuff. I mean, I think even myself, you know, especially as a consultant, I, do, I think I do put a lot of pressure on myself to be the one to help somebody make a decision uh, to, to do something. I, I caused this. And I think that's to a dangerous degree. I have to fight that. And really, that's not, I need to focus more on the conversation, the relationship, not just some type of conversion. A few points on this one. I want you to be fascinated, not just fascinating. A lot of people, uh, it's not that you just want to be uh, fascinating in some uh, selfish way, but we're really not in, in, a, in a conversation with a neighbor, a conversation sitting next to somebody in a college class or a high school class or middle school class, uh, sitting next to somebody in some type of public transportation or whatever it is, right? We're not sitting there thinking, hey, how can I be fascinated? What can I really learn about them? How can I really listen to them? The word evangelism is kind of interesting. Uh, I think it has a lot of baggage. Uh, recently, I was in a, a group and they were, we were talking about the word evangelism. And I'm going to read to you the words that, were come, that the group came up with. Here's what the group was asked. When you think about the word evangelism, what, what comes to mind? What's that first thought that comes to mind? If I do that for yourself right now, when you think about the word evangelism, what is the first thought or two that come to your mind? The first adjective or two, whatever it is, feeling or two that come to mind. Okay, well, maybe yours are like some of these. I'll read them to you. Obligation, guilt, intimidating, a turnoff, unqualified, unnatural, sales pitch, transactional, you binary. I love the word binary. Any math people in the room? Any? Okay, got a few math people. Thank you, thank you. Uh, math is good. So uh, binary is such a great word there. It's, it's, it's they, they, somebody converted or agreed fully or not versus listening. Um, and, and, and so the last one under the kind of the negative connotation with evangelism was talking to strangers. And again, we're not saying evangelism, the word is bad. We're saying let's get rid of some of the baggage that may actually hinder us doing the very thing that we're called to do in the workplace. So some of the substitute words we used in terms of this evangelism were things like relationship, meeting needs, listening, sharing. In fact, I think you'll like this. There's one other key trait that I think you need to have to really be able to converse well in the workplace and be able to live your faith out in the workplace. And I bet you, I bet you anything, if I said, okay, think of that trait right now, the key trait you need to have, I don't even know if anybody in this room would come up with it like right away. Uh, especially if I said, just pick one. So to me, that key trait is being flawed. Being, wait, no, it's being flawed, right? I mean, it's okay to still struggle. The Bible doesn't say we're never gonna struggle, but we have hope in our struggle. We have light to look to in our struggle. And so um, don't think of yourself as someone, well, I I really can't talk to people or I'm really not any good at that. Um, I'm not really worthy of that. 
It doesn't have to be that complicated. But the last two bullet points here are super important also. That we do still need to be ready to share the gospel when, that, when it, the opportunity is there. We need to really be listening and ready for that. And certainly we need to be praying for people. If you ask me, the, the people that I kind of have on my short list that I'd really like to invest in and people that may not have the, the hope that we have, how many times have I prayed for them recently? Oh, man. Like I, it's like I just kind of forget. I mean, I think about them some. So that's a big one too. Okay, number four. Now, this one's kind of an interesting one. I was torn on this bullet point, but I, I put be fun to disagree with. Okay, well, let's see where we're going with that on that one. Let's do our verse first. Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Okay, so let me get this right. We're talking about being a light in the workplace. We're talking about how to live a testimony in the workplace. And things like believing I'm in ministry and knowing my job won't be perfect makes sense. But wait, be fun to disagree with? Huh? Well, here's what I found. A lot of Christians just don't have easy conversations about doctrinal positions or other topics in life. And it's just really awkward. And I think we sometimes can get in our own way by making the conversation one where we're closing the door versus keeping it open. So a few points here just to kind of think about. A little pop quiz for you. I've been told before, don't use words like quiz. That just freaks the students out. The students, anybody freaked out right now? Okay, I did see a couple of hands there. My bad. So this is not that kind of pop quiz. You're not going to get graded. So here's some interesting questions to think about. Are you easy to, dis- to disagree and wrestle with? I like the word wrestle there, right? I mean, if you look at when, they, when God changed uh, Jacob's name to Israel, it was because he's one that wrestles with God when he wrestled with the angel, right? And so are you easy to disagree with? That's a great question. If I were to ask you some t- political topic or whatever else, would you be, and I didn't say cave in. I didn't say never say your opinion, but are you easy to disagree with? I don't know. Number two ties to that. Would an atheist or a Muslim or a spiritual struggler or an academic type even want to talk to you? It's a great question. That's a great question. Number three, do you overpower or overtalk? Are you just someone that fills that void and kind of overpowers conversations with your, what you want to say and your opinions versus pausing and listening? Number four there, are you a great question asker? Not many of us are. And then lastly there, do you state opinions with grace and humility? So again, when you think about living a testimony, when you think about really being a light, Uh, these are tricky ones to do. And again, number five can make it sound like you never, ever say anything with authority. You never, ever say anything strong. You never, ever call somebody out on something. You never, ever challenge them. We're actually not saying that. We're just saying, do you have some grace with that? This isn't saying only have uh, humility and grace. It's saying, do you state it with some? Um, Because we're usually going to state it with some some of the authority. The Bible says that Jesus spoke with authority. So we're not saying don't speak with authority. We're saying sprinkle in some grace and humility too. Number five, I like this one. I like this one. Fight your fears. Fight your fears. Psalm 34, four. It says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. 
Man, that's good stuff. You think about the fears. There's so much we can talk about there. You think about me as a consultant working with, you know, thousands of people over 20 years, having, you know, deep conversations about how they're wired and what they can do differently, what they can do better, how teams are wired. And man, the fear, the fear word is a deep undercurrent that a lot of people struggle with. So if I want to really live a testimony at work, if I want to be able to share the gospel at work, are there some fears that could get in the way of that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And right here too. I'm not, I'm not the, the ivory tower, you know, person up here that's got it all figured out. Oh no. These, these, you're more just kind of reading from my, my diary of, of mistakes I've made and things I struggle with. So when it comes to fears, a few points here, uh, wh- where do they come from? And actually that's the easy answer. Middle school, middle school. <laughs> All of them, all of them came from middle school, junior high. All of my kids, because I knew that. See, I knew that. All of my kids went from fifth grade straight to ninth grade, and they don't have any fears. It's the weirdest thing. But yeah, if you went to sixth, seventh, or eighth grade in any capacity, you got them. You got them. Uh, well, the, that, that's a, a bit of a playful answer to that question. But the truth is, there, there certainly are healthy fears. I mean, in fact, the Bible talks a lot about fear of God, not in this kind of teeth chattering, but more of a, a true, deep respect for God. So fears, again, aren't bad, but do I have fears that get in the way of me being a light in the workplace? Oh, absolutely. And so you look at number two there, the role of self-critical tendencies. And so that one certainly is a little definition there. Here's what I found. A lot of people that I've known and worked with struggle with being self-critical. So I'll put you to the test on this one. Um, so think for a minute if you are more self-critical, and I'll define that, obviously. Are you someone that kind of puts a lot of pressure on yourself? Are you someone that really feels bad when you fall short? Are you somebody that really um, even can take things a little more personally sometimes? If so, if you are more, a little bit more self-critical, don't say anything for a second. Okay, well, that's all of us. That's all of us. You're not alone, right? But the truth is you're not alone. And the last thing a self-critical person needs is me up here bashing them. So we're not here to bash. We're here to stop and think about, hmm, do 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 I allow voices in my head or voices from my past or lies to get in the way of me really being free? And, and, if, and a lot of us struggle with that. On the self-critical, a couple other points there. Yeah, so uh, here's a great question. Is being self-critical good or bad? Is being self-critical good or bad? The answer is, I see a nod. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. And so it's not that it's all bad. And again, I don't, I don't need to beat up on a self-critical person. But can we get in the way, again, of, uh, and have lies in our head? Now, here's a cool question. Who controls your self-talk? Who controls your self-talk? I mean, you do, I think, right? And, and our past can contribute to that. Trust me, mine has. But we can better control our self-talk. So think about the self-critical role that it may play in you sometimes not fighting some of your fears. Uh, think about who you give power to. You know, what does it say in Hebrews 13? It says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? What if I really live that out? What if I really live that out? So how do we do this one? Number five, at least. Well, first one is just believe God can use you. Like I said, don't allow those self-limiting thoughts to think, oh, well, I don't know the Bible good enough, or I'm not even, my life's not even that perfect, or I've just made a mistake or whatever. 
Hey, God uses this. This is a whole book about how God uses imperfect people. So, uh, so don't believe that. Pray against them, and then practice. Practice. I mean, it's just a muscle you have to strengthen. Okay, a number. Uh, oh yeah, summary on this one. This is kind of funny, right? This is my funny summary. Hey, I'm still scared. You can do it. You can do it. So there's my summary to, to this last one. With God's help. With God's help. Okay, number six, meet their needs. A little longer passage here. Meet their needs. Matthew 25 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So we want to meet needs. It's funny. I was talking to somebody that works in a restaurant recently. And they said there's one shift that nobody in the restaurant wants. And guess what shift that is? It's Sunday afternoon. And they just say, you just don't get good tips. And I'm like, wait a minute. That makes me nervous. Wait, is that? Because that's when a lot of church people go out to eat. So is it almost a stigma in the re- stigma in the restaurant industry that Christians are bad tippers? I don't know if that's totally true. It might be. I think there's certainly an undercurrent. Uh, if you're in the, in the restaurant industry, you can raise your hand and come up here and tell me. Uh, but but and maybe it's more that in, on Sunday lunch you don't order as much stuff, and at dinner you're going to have more tips because there's bigger bigger bills. Maybe that's some partly true. But if we want to meet needs. I know for me, uh, even yesterday I ordered two. Two um, breakfast tacos at a Mexican food place to go. And there's a line for a tip. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, I kind of almost get annoyed by that sometimes. Like, really, a tip? I mean, I just walked out with the food. I didn't do anything. But I have a rule now. I just always put a dollar on there, even if it's something like that, right? Just something, it's a dollar. I mean, that's a, once a month that even happens. $12 a year for me to get over myself and be a little more generous. And, I mean, give the money that God gave to me back to somebody. I mean, really? I mean, oh, so on, on this one, uh, th- there's also a cool story. There's a, sto- a story about a group of Christians that I know. just heard the story recently. And well, here's what they did. They wanted to really impact a local public school, a local high school. And they decided, you know what, we're really going to do this, and we're going to really pool our efforts and try to make a difference there. They did things like writing notes of encouragement to teachers and other staff members, people they didn't know, people they'd never met. That's pretty cool. They brought meals once a month. You know, people love that, right? So they brought meals to the school and, and prayed for staff members, prayed for students, things like that. And guess what? That school, just like two weeks ago, put up a plaque in the school in honor of that church. That's pretty cool, right? That's really meeting needs. That's sitting there thinking, hey, I'm a group of Christians and I want to make a difference and, and meet some tangible needs. And by the way, that school... Is in Bryan, Texas. And that church is a local church. That's cool stuff. That's cool stuff. So I want you to think for a minute. Think of a name. Think of a name of somebody in your life. It could be somebody at work that you wish you could share more with. It could be somebody, a neighbor uh, that you never really were able to have a conversation with or you did once and it just kind of, you know, it's hard to, to really connect, hard to find the time, hard to, to find times that overlap. And think about a need that you could meet. Think about a need you could meet. 
You know, is there something specific you could do for them, not just kind of wait for some chance for a deep conversation? Uh, usually a great place to start. Okay, last one. Handle conflict as if set apart. Now, I really like this one. With what I do for a living, I have talked about conflict a lot. I mean, wow. And I have seen a lot of conflict. And it is crazy to me how as Christians, we're not even a a ton better at handling conflict. And so that's what I wanted to talk about on this last one. I've got some bullet points here that I'll cover. But let's do our verse first. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Uh, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Okay, so that's the seventh one of the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. And I, mean, I could go on and on about this. I won't, I won't uh, digress, but that's just good stuff. And by the way, a peacemaker wasn't just this peaceful person that never gets flustered. You may be like that, and that's great. But you may not be like that and think, well, it doesn't apply to me. That's not what a peacemaker is. Uh, the, the word peace in the Greek was more of a rejoining, a rebinding. So it wasn't just this happy feeling. It was more of a bringing something back together. And a maker wasn't just this single event like a bread maker. It was more of, of a pursuer. You know, blessed are the, the reconciliation pursuers, for they shall be called children of God. And so we want to be reconciliation pursuers in our conflict. The conflict that we have in, the, in families, the conflict we have at work, the conflict in our marriages. So let's talk about this a little bit more. So one, you know, I want you to look in the mirror. I want you to look in the mirror. And so this may sound like, well, Chris, is this kind of your uh, a little self-helpy section? No, no. This is just putting practical words to the, the truths, right? I mean, what does it say in the Bible? It says, look at the, the, the log in your own eye before you try to pull the speck out of your brother's eye. And that's what it says. That's what number one is, is communicating in just a, a more, maybe a more applicable sense there. That we need to look in the mirror. So stop for a second and think about some conflict you've had recently. Maybe it's a roommate, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's somebody at work. And think about when you have that conflict, how long did it take you to really stop and just look in the mirror and really look at, okay, but what could I have done better? Hey, I know they started it and I know they're kind of a handful, but honestly, this and this and this. And honestly, my expectations are still like this. And I really need to be careful of this. How long did it take you till you got to that healthier kind of reflection? I know some people... Their answer is, like when I ask them, how long would it take you to get to that? Um, even in a recent conflict, you, a lot of people have said to me, never. I never got to that point. I'm just frustrated. I'm annoyed with them. Chris, they're a repeat offender. Uh, this is not, it's not that simple. And I would say, well, we're, <clears throat> we're all repeat offenders, just in different ways. So when it comes to conflict, I do want us to look in the mirror and look at that log in our own eye. Uh, number two, check your expectations. Now, where, where would that be in, in Scripture? You know, how does that, with, with conflict, well, think about what, again, Jesus' little brother James said in chapter 4. He says, what causes strife and quarrels among you? He asks, he asks a question. Oh, well, that's kind of what we're talking about here. What causes conflict among you? And, and so wonder what the answer is. And, and, and Paul sa- James says, you want things and don't get them. Oh, I expected something and didn't get it. Oh, okay. So we've got to check our expectations. Most of you have undue expectations on other people. 
Most of you do. Now, maybe not everybody. Maybe there's exceptions. Of course. But again, we're going back to conflict now. Right? Think of the name that you had in your head earlier. With that person, are you really willing to look and say to yourself, God, get rid of anything in me that's got a bias here. Um, even with my wife, you know, I'm pretty tidy and organized. Who else in here is really like, who's like me on that one? Raise your hand. Like really tidy and organized. Okay, got a few. Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, and, and who's married to somebody who's not as tidy or organized? And you probably don't want to raise your hand there. You might give it away. But, so, but who in here is not that tidy or organized? You know, kind of just more free-flowing. Hey, just, you know, it's all good. I know where everything is. That type of thing. Uh, I mean, uh, uh. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't have any bias there. No bias there. But my expectations on my marriage and my wife for many, many years, and maybe to this day, are too high. So again, that's going to cause conflict. I need you to at least be within proximity of me. I'm not saying be just like me. I know I'm a little extreme on being obsessive about details and who, who, who touched my toothbrush and you know, where, where is that and who put it wherever. Okay, fine. And in, in my car, don't bring a drink and don't bring glitter in my car and things like that. I mean, call me crazy. Call me crazy. You know, I bought glitter as like a prop for a workshop and my daughter opens it up and then spills it. Like, what are you doing in my car? So am I a little obsessive? Okay, fine. Okay, fine. But I do need us all to check our expectations. I think my expectations on my wife's attention to detail are too high. They certainly were too high. What I've better done now is, like it says in number three, is to better celebrate those differences. Yeah, if if I stop and think about it, if I'd married somebody just like me, we'd have a very, very tidy and unwelcoming life. Think about that, right? I know that's hard for me to even admit because she's here. And I'm like, oh, I hate to say that out loud. And she's going to hold me. No, we, we do talk about this. It's not the first time I brought it up. Uh, but, but I need her balance. She makes us better, even if it's hard sometimes. So when it comes to your conflict, do you need to check those expectations and better celebrate those differences? Maybe you have a roommate that really pushes your buttons. What I would say to you, I had one of those in college. And at the time, you know what I did? Well, I did what anybody would. I blamed him. He was a mess. I mean, seriously, he was just a mess. And not just a mess in terms of being messy. He just was a handful. Like just, uh. You know, now when I look back on that, he was simply exposing buttons and biases that I had. Now, was he still a, a bit of a handful um, even now when I hang out with him? A little bit, but I see him more clearly now. I don't think I saw him clearly. I don't think the names of people you mentioned that you have conflict with, I'm not convinced you see them the way God sees them. And that's our challenge. What if you could see clearly? Number four, go first to own your part. Why is it we sit there and wait? Well, I'll tell you why I wait. Because it wasn't my fault. I didn't do anything. I I, I do this for a living. You think I'm going to walk around having conflict all the time being an idiot? So if I ever have conflict, they must be a real mess. You're picking up on the bias. Good, good. So the truth is, it doesn't really matter any of that. Even if I'm less to blame. Let's say you had a conflict and you're really not that much to blame. Well, you could still go first to navigate these waters and and navigate conflict as if you're truly set apart, not just someone who's waiting for justice. Do you want justice? Do you want progress? I don't know. Good question. And then lastly, have healthy after-conflict conversations. Got a couple of verses for this one too. 
have healthy after-conflict conversations. Hmm. So what happens when you have conflict? Well, I'll tell you what happens. If, you're, if, you, if you have that, that same little thing with the two fingers, what happens is we, we need to vent a little bit because people are baffling and they're a mess and we're all broken and they're broken and you're broken. So we want to vent and then we vent to somebody and try to just be validated or something. But I wonder if we can have a healthier version of that. It says in Proverbs, um, without wood, a fire goes out. Makes sense. I think I knew that. But then it says, without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Oh, oh, okay. So if we have that need to vent and we're really broaching more of the gossip version versus the healthy version. Mm, yeah, so we're actually, we're actually magnifying the conflict and drawing more people into it while we're at it. Another verse on this one in James, it says, uh, James says this. He says something, I, I'm going to leave that blank for a minute, is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body that can contribute to conflict. Some part of your body is a world of evil, and you know what it is, many of you, the tongue, you know, the things we say. And so when it comes to healthy after-conflict conversations, can we say things that aren't helpful? So what would a healthy version look like? Right? I've, I've talked about a couple of unhealthy versions, the gossip, the saying things we shouldn't. And I, again, I'm not saying you can't vent. We all need to do that. Uh, but, but a healthier version would be really looking to see what I can do better, what I can learn from. And again, maybe the conflict is simply exposing things in you that you could look at. You genuinely had a little to blame, but it's still exposing things. So as Christians, what if we could do that? What if we could better do that in the workplace and model that? You, know, you hear about Christian marriages and you, you hear statistics and some of those are a little bit biased. I'm a statistician, so I can say that. But regardless, do I see Christians really working through conflict multiplicatively better or significantly better than others? Sometimes, sometimes. So I think we could do better. I think I could do better on that one. Okay, so here's what I'm gonna have you do. I'm gonna have you pick one of the seven. One of the seven that you feel like is kind of jumping out at you. One that you could apply more, one that you could utilize more, one that you're kind of chewing on. But you can see there at the bottom, just in case you forget your question. Before you answer it, though, I'm going to have you kind of just talk to your neighbor. And now that seems kind of irregular. You know, here's my only request. You know, I'm talking about like groups of two, maybe three. But here's the problem, right? Let's say I had a, a married couple, then a married couple, then a college student in the middle. And the two married couples just starts talking and leaves the college student out. Like, what are we doing? You're killing me. If I see a group of five, I might think, hey, the math's a little off here. Can we split up here? So again, don't overthink this. If you have a kid, round up. I don't care. Um, but we're just saying, uh, share with your neighbor which one's jumping out at you. Which one is God kind of stirring in you a little bit. But before you do that, you see question one is you have to answer if you love glitter. I mentioned that earlier. But you're going to do it real simple. You're just going to do a show of thumbs. Love glitter. That's not the, the, the gig. It's just love glitter. Mm. Hate it, hate it. So with, as you turn to your neighbor and make sure nobody's left out, as you turn to your neighbor, you'll have a thumb up or down or sideways. Love glitter, mm, hate glitter. And it, so once you see your, show, your thumbs and see who agrees or disagrees, you'll then answer your second question with your neighbor or groups of two or three. Everybody got it? Go. I need to see thumbs, thumbs, thumbs. Okay, finish your thought, finish your thought. 
Okay, I walked around, I kind of overheard a couple of cool conversations. Uh, I had some people saying, uh, dis- disagree with was theirs, but they were kind of on different sides of it. One person almost too quick to, I won't say anything, and one person more likely to hold their ground. So love it, love the awareness there. Again, is, is either one of those biases horrific? No, no, we just want to be aware of those biases. And we want to be able to become all things to all people, to win as many as possible. So, I mean, by the way, on the glitter, um, how many people had the thumbs up? Like, I love it. I love it. Ooh, okay. We, do we need to pray for them? Should we? Uh, how many had thumbs down? Like, hate it. Hate it. Okay. Wow, we have a lot of haters in the room. Um, wow. So raise your hand if you and your significant other had a different answer. One hated it, one loved it. Okay, so we need to pray for those marriages and those relationships, for sure. You talk about conflict. I just started it all up, right? Okay. So, uh, so think about this week, you know, which one you could apply. And let me kind of launch this today. You know, uh, next slide, last slide. So what if, what if, what if we could really be that kind of Christian army in, in a workplace and pool resources and really shine a light and make a difference? What if we could really treat our colleagues and clients and bosses, and vendors, as if they were, as you, as if you were a living manifestation of the gospel, serving and loving. I mean, what if we could really see that? What if we could reframe our workplace as truly sacred ground and the mission field that we've been planted? Let's pray. God, thank you for a, a message that's that's convicting. Um, that, that makes us really think about how well, we can do better. But God, we really just pray to just get rid of the, the flesh in us, God, the flesh that gets in the way of us, living a testimony, the things that we uh, need to get out of the way and allow you to better shine through us in the workplace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, go live a testimony this week at work. See you next week.